Section 24 of the National Geographic Magazine, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Schempf. The Alaskan Boundary Survey, Part 2. The Boundary South of Fort Yukon, by J. E. McGrath. The address of Dr. Mendenhall, having satisfactorily described the duties which called our party into the interior of Alaska, I shall confine myself to a plain statement of the most prominent points of interest, connected with the people and country that came under my observation during a two-year stay in our great northwestern possession. It may not be amiss to call attention to a few salient facts about this vast territory whose remoteness from the rest of the country has caused but little attention to be paid to its possibilities and character by the people at large until the rights of certain of its old-time inhabitants to a peaceful occupation of some favorite summer resorts of theirs on a few small islands off its coast have been rudely interfered with alaska has an area of nearly five hundred and eighty thousand square miles its shoreline exceeds in length the combined lengths of the Atlantic, Pacific, and Gulf Coasts belonging to the United States by 7,239 miles. The ocean that freezes along its northern coast is the resort of the greatest whaling fleet in the world. Its islands of St. Paul and St. George are the breeding places of the fur seal, for hunting which a company pay the United States government a royalty which equals, when the maximum catch is allowed, about ten percent on the cost of the whole of alaska in the archipelago which extends about the national domain and nearly eight degrees of longitude into the eastern hemisphere are the haunts of one of the most highly prized of all fur-bearing animals the sea otter on the banks off the alaska peninsula the fish commission steamer albatross has found those very valuable food fishes the cod and halibut in such numbers as to make these seas compare favorably with the rich fishing banks of newfoundland along the southeastern coast a large mining population is profitably employed and at the great treadwell mine on douglas island near juneau the largest stamp mill in the world is engaged in crushing alaskan ores along every favorable bay and stream on the southern coast salmon canneries are to be found and the importance of this industry may be appreciated when it is considered that the season's pack for 1889 amounted to 703,000 cases. In the interior, gold, copper, and coal have been found, but as yet the most valuable exports are the many rich furs for which Alaska has long been noted. No feature of Alaska is more remarkable and noteworthy geographically than its great river, the Yukon. This mighty stream, rising within 20 miles of the Pacific Ocean, estimated from the head of Lynn Canal, flows for about a thousand miles northwesterly, passing inside the Arctic Circle near Fort Yukon, and then bending its course south-southwestward, flows on for another thousand miles until it reaches Bering Sea. The Russians, during their domination in Alaska, did but little in the way of exploring the interior and it remained for the hardy pioneers of the western union telegraph expedition who were occupied during eighteen sixty six and eighteen sixty seven in selecting a route for the telegraph line to connect europe and america by way of siberia established the identity of the river known to the british as the Luz and to the russians as the quickpack or yukon in the early days the trade of the river was divided between the two peoples just mentioned 
the hudson bay company had established a post at fort yukon and the servants of this company received their goods by dog trains from the mackenzie river district extending their operations as far down the river as nuklukayet near the mouth of the tanana river and so securing the trade which at the present day is considered the best in the yukon district the russians had to bring their supplies up the yukon in sailing vessels and with this slow means of transportation found nulato far enough in the interior for their trading post the english occupation of the site of fort yukon continued until eighteen sixty nine in that year captain raymond of the united states engineers was sent up the river to determine the location of the post a total eclipse of the sun afforded him an admirable opportunity to determine his longitude this being supplemented by observations of the moon and moon culminating stars a latitude was observed and then as it was placed beyond doubt that the station was in the united states territory the hudson bay company retired up porcupine river to a point that the factor mr mcdougall thought was well within the british possessions captain raymond also mapped the river between fort yukon and its mouth and when lieutenant schwatka made his famous raft journey down the river from its head in eighteen eighty three he supplemented raymond's work and for the first time a fair idea of the course of the yukon river was given to the world captain everett smith of the western union telegraph expedition made a reconnaissance of the delta and the present maps nearly all use the chart made by him of the mouth of the river the great reward for the pioneers in the salmon canning trade on this river has made the agents of the alaska commercial company at st michael very anxious to discover a channel in the river up which ocean-going vessels might be taken at present all stores intended for the yukon river valley must be taken to st michael and there transferred to small light draft river steamboats which then have a risky outside sea voyage of eighty miles before they can find safety in the most northerly of the outlets of the river which is the afoon mouth its great volume of water is poured out through so many different channels that in no one can a sufficient depth be found to allow the admittance into the river of sea-going vessels tempted by the prize which is in store for the first ones to establish salmon canneries on the river the alaska company's agents have spent much time in searching for a deep water channel in this quest they can secure no help from the natives who appreciate what the consequences will be for themselves if the white man can bring his ships in and hitherto the search has been a failure the inhabitants of the lower yukon were the most miserable foul and degraded beings that we saw in alaska of personal cleanliness they seemed to have no conception and it was distressing to note the terrible diseases under which some of them seemed to be wasting away the chief reason for their dreadful personal condition is their partiality for seal oil under all conditions and circumstances they seem to steep themselves in it it never has an odor which would make it acceptable to civilized people and coat after coat of this stuff laid on from childhood to old age results in making the person so treated a very unwelcome object for notice for either nose or eye of the white man the lower part of the delta is regularly submerged each spring and often the miserable dwellers therein have to seek refuge in their boats but just so soon as the waters subside the people return to their damp and sodden hovels which really never dry out entirely on account of the excessive rain that characterizes the lower river this condition of person and dwelling 
together with an almost exclusive fish diet for one half the year results in some terrible forms of diseases among the maclamutes and at various points we saw poor miserable creatures whose condition was more hideous than anything i ever read of the worst effects of plague or leprosy in the spring summer and fall this section is the home for innumerable geese swans and ducks the maclamute then lives well and we were told wonderful stories of the number of birds killed by single hunters in a day's hunting two wild geese could be bought in some places for a head of tobacco and a miner told us that the ruling rate for wild goose eggs at the trader's store near cape romanoff was a head of tobacco or one-third of a pound of lead for one hundred fifty eggs it is needless to say that the native inhabitants of this section are not very particular about the quality or condition of the food they eat there are no fastidious scruples about the cause of death of their game a white whale or seal that drifts ashore is taken with thanks and if it is evident that the creature has been dead for some time there is the compensating advantage that the flesh is more tender the yukon river does not lack for settlements but their size and condition hardly satisfied the ideas we had formed of them before they greeted our view kotlik is the home for a single white man the old russian trader and his family Andreevsky is only a name a portion of the old storehouse here came in very handy for wood supplies when we passed it going up river ikogomut has some importance because it is the home of the russian priest who has spiritual charge of most of the natives of the lower river kozoreski is a few miles above the large catholic mission of the holy cross white anvik affords a home to the bishop-elect of the episcopal diocese of interior alaska next above anvik is nulato once the outpost of the russian trading company and noted for being the scene so graphically described by professor dahl in his work on alaska of the only massacre perpetrated by the indians on white people in the yukon valley the next station of note after passing nulato is nuklukayet the emporium for the trade of tanana river and the most productive trading post on the yukon about one hundred miles above nuklukayet the yukon begins to spread out into the great lake-like section where it is locally known as the flats in this portion of its course the stream is dotted with myriads of islands the great width of the river and the constant changes in the shallow channels leading to every point of the compass make this the most dreaded part of the river for the steamboat men near fort yukon the river is said to be seven miles wide probably no point on the yukon is better known by name to people who have not visited the interior of alaska than fort yukon here once was the largest and best equipped trading station on the river it was the most westerly of the hudson bay company posts and until captain raymond determined that the site was within the territory of the united states it controlled all the trade of the upper river now a broken chimney several mounds of ashes and a few graves are all the evidences that remain to show where the great station once was above fort yukon the names of a number of places appear on our maps but in reality only two locations are permanently occupied on the whole upper half of the river these are at the mouth of forty mile creek and at the site of old fort selkirk the scenery along the yukon river will compare favorably with any views i have ever beheld myself or seen reproductions of from any river in our country our summer trip up the stream was one continued succession of pleasant surprises 
the hills were heavily wooded with spruce birch and aspen on shore we found flowers on every side while birds and insects were as plentiful as we ever saw them in the northern states at fort yukon which is a little over a mile inside the arctic circle the heat was almost insufferable both in august and july and the only warning given us of what we might expect a little later on was afforded at nulato where we saw a well being sunk that had already been driven through twenty-five feet of frozen ground in spite of our pleasant summer as we were all ignorant of what might be the rigors of an arctic winter there was much anxiety about what the future would have in store for us all the traders at st michael were certain that the coming winter would be a severe one because the one just passed had been very mild rain had fallen on forty mile creek on january first eighteen eighty nine and according to all the laws of alaskan weather the approaching winter would have to make up for the mildness of the preceding one mr mcgweston told us of the winter of eighteen eighty six when the signal service thermometer at his station recorded minus seventy degrees and his face was frozen while going about fifty feet from his house to call some miners who lived in a cabin nearby to see how low the temperature was mr mayo was certain that a later winter was still colder but unfortunately he had no spirit thermometer that year and so he had to judge entirely by his sensations with all this expert testimony we began to anticipate trouble a careful estimate was made of what wood we would need for our three fires and it was with much foreboding of its inadequacy that we saw the winter start in while we only had enough wood on hand to last as it afterwards turned out for two years and then have enough left over to give the steamboat arctic four or five cords when we abandoned the camp in eighteen ninety one during the first winter the temperature fell to minus fifty nine degrees while the second season gave us a still lower minimum or minus sixty point five degrees we had a long spell in january and february eighteen ninety when the temperature did not get above eighty two below the freezing point minus fifty but at no time did this cause any suffering our systems became gradually inured to the cold and without any such amount of extra clothing as would excite comment in the middle straits in the winter we were able to go about attending to our regular duties and taking the indoor exercise that was necessary for our keeping in good health fur garments were worn only when members of the party went on journeys and then they were taken for use at night as we used no tents in any of our trips in the quarters fires were not kept up beyond our time for retiring except when observations kept us up all night but in spite of this water never froze in the room the men occupied and in the roof of the officers room an opening eighteen inches square was kept open summer and winter for ventilating purposes i suppose our capacity for assimilating fats was very much increased from a little discovery i made last march one day while looking over the report of the provisions used by the party i noticed an extraordinarily large amount of lard charged as it showed that the man who was acting as cook was using monthly twice as much of this article as his predecessor in office who was allowed to return home in the previous august had used in six months i called on him for an explanation he claimed that he was using it in a regular and proper way and when asked for what purposes it went he said that for one thing he always put a pound of it in the soup every day no one had developed any attack of dyspepsia during the season 
and I suppose we must thank our climatic surroundings for being saved from the natural consequences of this practice. During the intense cold, the mercury froze, of course. On Forty Mile Creek, one experimenter made bullets of this metal, which he fitted into cartridges and fired from his rifle. We amused ourselves with making mercury discs, which we would break to see the fracture. Coal oil and California brandy were also experimented with, and solidified in a very short time. The principal sources of worry and suffering at an Arctic station are to be found in the short, dark days of winter, and the long, bright days of summer. Our first winter was made rather worse than usual, because of the small amount of oil we had to carry us through. For twenty hours each day during the months of December and January, no reading or writing could be done in quarters without the aid of artificial light, and as we only had enough oil on hand to allow us to keep a lamp going for four hours per day, we had many a dark hour to endure, and those two months appeared almost endless. The long day of the summer seemed to affect some people even more than the long night of winter. They appeared to become nervous, and on the whaling fleet it is not unusual for men to become insane, and some are driven to suicide. At Camp Davidson we were not inside the Arctic Circle, but nevertheless no stars were visible to the naked eye from about April 25th to August 15th, and in June, at midnight, diamond print could be read by natural light out of doors. Some members of the party suffered severely from insomnia during the summer, and it did not seem to help them in any way when the heaviest cloths were used to curtain their cots. Although 1,400 miles in the interior, and certain of mail only once a year, we could not complain of loneliness while the Indians were near us, and very few indeed were the days that some of these social people omitted calling and breakfasting, dining, or supping with us. Taken as a whole, the Indians in our vicinity were clean, honest, gentle, and virtuous. Never have they occasioned the white men who came among them any trouble, and hitherto the mutual relations of the two races have been of the most cordial and pleasant character. The miners early recognized the necessity of seeing that none of their numbers should do the Indians injustice, and rigid laws have been adopted to enforce due consideration of Indian rights. Whatever work an Indian does for a miner, or whatever he sells one, is paid for, generally at a high price. Indians working in the mining claims receive three to four dollars per day, which is relatively higher than the eight dollars paid to white men. What the outcome of the Alaska Placer mines will be is beyond anyone's power to estimate now. The miners have prospected on nearly every stream in the country. Even the Arctic portions of the territory have not proven inaccessible to those solitary searchers for the precious metal, and everywhere they have found color. But up to the present time, no place has paid steadily and well, except the small river called by the natives Chittandipah, and by the whites Forty Mile Creek. Here last season there were about 150 white men, and when we left Camp Davidson in June 1891, it was the only river below Pelly except the Koyukuk on which mines were worked. The lower part of the Forty Mile is abandoned now, but the richest ground is in the gulches near the head of the creek and it is estimated that it will be several years before the treasures are all extracted. Mayo and McGuestin are the traders who supply these men with stores, and they told me that their shipments of gold dust for the past year amounted to $40,000, and this, they estimated, was a little less than one-half of the total output of the creek. 
the regular mining season lasts for only about three months but some men do a little winter mining which is extremely laborious it necessitates first chopping a great quantity of cordwood which then has to be hauled to the bar that is being worked here it is heaped up in piles and fired and then the thawed ground is dug out and piled on some bank above high water and when the summer comes and the ice goes it is taken down and washed out in the winter of eighteen eighty nine eighteen ninety three men took out twenty three thousand buckets of dirt which netted them one thousand dollars apiece for their three months of the hardest kind of mining work known the largest nuggets ever found in alaska have been found on forty mile creek one was shown us which was worth fifty six dollars and in last july a man named nelson took out a nugget worth two hundred and sixty dollars the evidences that alaska gives on all sides of the existence of gold will always tempt men to go there but real exhaustive examinations of her streams will not be made until the miners feel sure that when they return to their trading posts after a long season's prospecting they can depend on finding food there as affairs are managed now they must return to the stations in the middle of their short working season to see what the steamboat has brought and no one can tell when some accident will happen to the one steamer that connects the interior with st michael and force all hands to leave the country or else face the possibility of starvation as was the case in the fall of eighteen eighty nine it is a very risky venture trying to live on the country in the interior of alaska end of section twenty four